Welcome to the Marketing Plan Podcast, where you'll find expert marketing advice for business owners and marketers who want real results. We bring you industry experts to give you advice on how to create more buzz around your brand. So buckle up and turn up the volume, because here comes our host, Sherry Benelli. We're going to take on the world. To another episode of the Marketing Plan Podcast. You are all in for a treat today because we have Rand Fishkin with us today. Welcome, Rand. Thanks for having me, Sherry. Great to be here. I am so happy you're here. And for those of you that are not familiar with search engine optimization, Rand Fishkin is really known within the SEO industry. He is like one of the experts within the industry. So we are so thankful to have him here. But Rand is the co-founder and CEO of a research software startup called SparkToro. But for those SEOs who have been around for a while, you will know him as kind of the king of Moz.com and the king of SEO. So you will probably recognize his name and know him from Moz.com. So I am so thankful that you're here today, Rand. Thanks so much for showing up. Sure. My pleasure. And just to clarify, I, I haven't been in the SEO industry for almost five years. So hopefully no one thinks I'm an SEO expert anymore. Well, you, you, a lot of those things are still around and a lot of those practices and tactics still work. And I know that you still understand keyword research and all that good stuff. So I know that you still um, do have a lot of influence in that area. So th- we're so thankful that you're here. I do like to start out the podcast with a very challenging question. So I'm going to ask you that if that's okay. Please. Horror movies or comedy movies? Comedy. God, that's such an easy question. (laughs) So you're not struggles with that. You're not a horror fan. I I don't think I've seen a single horror movie in the last 20 years, except for get out, um, which was brilliant, but yes. Okay. Comedy. uh, I'm going to keep, I'm going to limit my, horror genre to Jordan Peele only. Okay. Okay. That's cool. That's awesome. So what's your favorite comedy movie? Can I ask? Favorite comedy movie? Video content that is coming out now is episodic television mm-hmm. series. Go with one R- of those. Rather than film. Um, I did think the long shot was really fun. With, okay. Uh, who was that? Seth Rogen and um, Charlize Theron. You can't beat Seth Rogen for a oh, comedy. I mean, I you know, I think he's... He's like a six out of 10, but Charlize Theron is like a nine out of oh, 10. Oh, well. She can do no wrong. She can be in phenomenal. You know, she was great in The Old Guard as an action hero. She like produces and directs things. She she can do comedy. She's just um, she's a- clearly ludicrously talented. <laughs> and women in Hollywood have, um, as she's written about, right, this sort of like expiration date and like a lot of challenges getting roles um, into middle age. And, and she is breaking that mold. And I love to see that. I hope that in, you know, the decades ahead, more content is filled with women in their forties, fifties, sixties, seventies. That'd be great. I was just going to say the fact that she's middle age is terrifying <laughs> for those of us that are, are past middle age. <laughs> well, so how, I, I can't even remember how old she is. Is she... Probably in her forties. Oh, yeah, 40, 46. I, oh my gosh, I can't even believe she's that old. Wow. Okay. I know, I know. Scary. She well, probably drinks the blood of runaways to stay young, but probably, <laughs> probably, <laughs> or maybe she's in that horror story, horror movie genre where she's a vampire. Perhaps we oh, don't know. Yeah, total vampire. She make a great vampire. <laughs> maybe that's it. 
Thank you. Well, that was fun. Thank you for answering that question. Kind of gets everybody to know you a little bit better. That's awesome. So first of all, I have to ask you, how did you get into digital marketing? Oh, yeah. So um, back in my very early days of web design, which is kind of how I fell into you know the internet as a whole in college, my mom and I were you know, building websites on contract for for clients, and we were outsourcing the digital marketing, search marketing, and all that kind of stuff, SEO, to other folks. And we were doing such a terrible job financially that we could no longer afford to pay our subcontractors at one point. This is probably, I don't know, oh three, yeah, 2003 or so. And so, you know, the job fell to me. It was one of those, well, we promised this work and we need to get paid for it. And we quite can't afford to pay the subcontractors anymore. So you're going to do it, Rand. And and that is how I started in the SEO field initially in, in digital marketing, and then eventually started that the the blog that became Moz, the consulting business, and the software business, and then the venture backed software business, and all that. Awesome, that's great. I think it's interesting. It's always interesting to hear how people get in the industry that they're in. So I mm. always love to hear that background. I think that you know, definitely helps us understand. And I also think it's very interesting to hear that most of the successful people that I've been interviewing have fallen on hard times and have really struggled. So I think that's also very important for our audience to know that not everyone's successful right out the gate. I would say most of us aren't. And so that's always a good thing to know as well. So as a small business owner or a marketer that works for a small business or a medium-sized business, what recommendations would you give to them when they're thinking about using digital marketing strategies to market their products or services? Kind of what recommendations or suggestions would you give them if they're planning out their strategies? So for instance, you know, would you go all in, go all in social media? Would you go all in SEO? Kind of how would you tell them to balance out those marketing strategies? Sure. I would not tell anyone to go all in on any particular tactic uh, or strategy until you have first established a couple of things. Um, number one, I think if you're maybe on the larger side of that, you know, mid-sized business, um, and or you're a challenger brand or a startup that's attempting to scale very quickly, my suggestion would be that before you choose any tactics or channels, invest in in creating an influence map, basically a you know, here is the audience that I want to reach, whose problems my product or service solves. Here's how they get into the field, right? Here's how they start researching it. That that could be, you know, if you're a local restaurant, that's probably like Google Maps and TripAdvisor and Yelp and maybe some Google searching and maybe some friends or maybe some eater's top list of, uh, you know, of restaurants or whatever it is, right? So you have your sort of, okay, this is how people find restaurants in this area. And we mostly cater to locals or tourists or out of town business visitors, or we mostly cater to special occasion or we're a casual, you know, whatever it is, but, but you have this concept of how people find you and then how they make their decision, you know, the decision-making process to go out to eat at all, or, or to engage with a, with that problem, whatever problem you're solving, and then how they choose which restaurant, which product, which service they're going to buy from, right? And you need to have at least 
You can do the research around this. There's lots of ways to do it, right? Pr products like SparkToro are designed to help with that, but you don't have to do it formally. You can at least just have a theory. And I am shocked. Like it, frankly, it blows my mind, Sherry. How can it be that m people will do marketing and when you ask them, oh, okay, and, and you know, where do you think people go to sort of discover, learn about your field? They're like, well, I don't know. What? They don't know. It's fine. I mean, look, you don't have to know for certain, but but do you have a theory? Are you experimenting with some place and, and maybe trying to figure out if that's true or not? Or, you know, do you do you do any customer research? Maybe ask people who come in how they heard about you or ask your competitors as customers how they, they make these decisions. I'm blown away that you don't at least have that influence map, right? This this idea of here's where people go. Once you identify these channels and these sources, then I think as a small business, as a medium business, your job is essentially to concentrate on one or two or three that make the most sense for you. And that is not necessarily, this is the place where the you know biggest number of my audience is. It is some combination of you have personal pas passion and interest around that because I've never, ever in the history of marketing seen someone who's like, ugh, I'm terrible at Instagram, but I'm so good at using it. It's ne never happened, right? No one who hates a particular you know, source or channel is amazing at doing work there. So personal passion and interest. This, this is nice too, because you don't have to do things you hate. Second thing is somewhere where you can provide unique value differentiated from the competition. Like, oh, we're on Instagram or we do podcasts or we run webinars or we have an interview series. And what is it about your interview series that's so different and better and unique from what all the other interview series in your genre and sector are doing? You have to ask yourself that question, right? Personal passion and interest, unique value that you're providing, and then make sure your audience is actually there. If you get those three things, I think you're going to be golden. Awesome. And, and so I definitely agree. I think a lot of business owners make the mistake of saying, okay, I have to be on Facebook. I have to have a presence on Instagram. I have to have a presence on YouTube. And I have to have all those great little icons at the bottom of my website or top of my website, but they're doing none of them particularly well. So do you agree with that? Yeah. And, and, and there's no, there's no reason, right? It is, look, it is absolutely fine, absolutely fine to be very good at one or two channels and to not engage at all with a bunch of others. That, that is, despite what, you know, um, oh, what's his name? Gary uh, Vaynerchuk, right? <laughs> Who was like, no, you have to be hustling everywhere and have a presence everywhere. Uh, ignore that. Focus. You will do much better if you focus and continually invest and get better at your one or two or three channels than if you try and be everything to everyone. To my mind, I think of it like um, going into a restaurant or any type of business and finding that they have everything. Yep. Right? You go If you go into a, a restaurant and you're like, oh, this, they've got Greek and Thai and Italian and Chinese and is that sushi? Okay, we, we should leave. Yeah. We should, we should turn around and we should go away from this place because... I don't think, but you, you could be phenomenal at one of those. And that, that is very, very compelling. I, I think the same thing applies to the internet. And that, could, that can be social media channels or web search or content marketing or marketing through 
sources of influence in your industry. Maybe you're great at earning press. You know, you could be a press darling and, and lots of local media and niche media covers you. Maybe you're phenomenal at events. Great. Conferences, in-person stuff, webinars. Wonderful. Maybe you run a maybe you have just an incredible voice and you run an amazing podcast and you're great at earning listeners. Wonderful. That can work totally fine. Maybe you're terrible at all those things. And instead you would prefer to go advertise in places where your audience pays attention to those other sources. And what you're great at is researching and figuring out where those are. That works too. Absolutely. No, I 100% agree. And I think a lot of the analogies you gave are spot on. So thank you very much. Um, I mean, I, I hope I'm not offending some person who like really loves seven kinds of cuisine in one restaurant. But No, no, I don't think that you can be um, have the best pizza in town and the best sushi sitting side by side. I don't think that, that that's going to work. It, it never happens, right? It never I don't happens. think so. I don't think so. And look, I uh, love fusion, right? Mm-hmm. Fusion's great, but Focus. Yes, I I agree. Definitely. Definitely. So with so much competition for consumers' attention right now, I mean, we're bombarded by pop-ups and ads and notifications and, you know, things going on. Do you have tips or advice on how to kind of break through all that noise and how to make your message stand out? Are there certain ways that marketers can do that? I mean, one of the challenges is that this is different in every different sector, right? So it's going to be not just different in B2B versus B2C. This is different if you are you know, providing lawn and garden care. It's different if you are marketing a fiction book. It's different if you are you know, creating an independent video game. It's different if you are doing lighting supplies to video sets you know, for professional productions. Every one of those is going to have unique aspects of them that is that is different. I, I think what can make you stand out is if you have a deep understanding of what resonates with your audience and doesn't. What are their interests? What are their passions? What do they care about? What are they talking about and listening to and paying attention to? And why are they talking about and listening to and paying attention to those things? What are their underlying motivations? If you can get that deep understanding of your audience and your customers, that I think is the best way to stand out in any field. And then you just have to apply that knowledge to the tactics and channels and you know whatever it is, landing page optimization you're doing or advertising messages that you're doing or product design things that you're doing. How do you recommend that people get that information? Like what's the be- one of the best ways to find out that information about their particular customers? Do you have research tools that you recommend? I think you yeah, probably have yeah. at least I mean, one, maybe. <laughs> can everybody, everybody watching and listening just sees Sherry wind up the softball and then <laughs> <laughs> toss it over? Uh, no, I, so th- there's four. There's four that I that I like. One is competitive research. So that is basically analyzing the field of competition, figuring out you know what tactics and channels are working for them, where are they earning their audiences, especially if they're folks with similarities to you, perhaps even in slightly different fields or slightly adjacent fields, and you're seeing them have success, you can study those and learn from them, get ideas that way. You can ask. Customer comes in or potential customer comes into your business, or you get on the phone with them, or you're emailing with them. You can ask them, 
even if they just come to your website. I'm sure you've seen surveys like this, right? People will ask on a website, oh, you know, you click the checkout button, then it says, oh, how'd you hear about us, right? And so you enter some information there, that kind of thing. I think that can work great. Mm -hmm. The third one is large-scale surveys, consumer surveys. This is generally more popular and a little bit easier in B2B than it is to in B2C. Uh, and that's just because the variety of behavior that drives consumer purchases tends to be far broader than, than the specificity with which business-to-business -business transactions are driven. But you can, you can equally use them. The only challenge with those large-scale surveys is it's easy to get biased and you have to ask questions and formulate questions correctly. You also have to make sure you have the right kind of audience and sample size for all those things. So it, it pays to be sort of a very professional survey running firm um, or to hire one, which mm -hmm. can be quite costly, right. but can be extraordinarily effective. There's lots of businesses I know that have used them. Uh, I've used them in the past. They can produce incredible results. And then the fourth one is what I call passively collected data. The dream scenario, Sherry, I'm sure that, you know, that we all have is like, well, surveying is nice, but you can't quite get all the depth and detail. Like what I really want to do is uh, get the home addresses of all my potential customers and go to their house uh, and break in and steal their phone and then get their unlock code and, uh, and go into their phone and look at everything that they watch, read, listen to, subscribe to, follow, visit, you know, oh, well, what are the podcasts they're subscribed to? Oh, what are YouTube channels are they subscribe to? Okay, what are the last 10 things that they watched and what websites they visit most often and where do they get their news and blah, 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 all that stuff. But that is super unethical and highly illegal. And so you should not do it. Don't um, do that. <laughs> don't, don't do that. The, the good news is that in the era of social media, there are hundreds of millions of people who put this data out on the web publicly for anyone to visit and collect, right? Google crawls all those pages right now and you know shows all the information. You can go to anyone's Twitter account, see what they follow. You can go to someone's LinkedIn account, see all the things they post. You can go to someone's YouTube, see all the channels they subscribe to. Great. So not everyone's profile is completely public, but enough people are in virtually every sector that you can get this information. You can do it two ways, manually, which is a lot of work, but can be valuable. Uh, or you can use automated solutions that crawl this data, kind of like Google does, which obviously is what our company SparkToro does. Um, th there's a couple other companies that do it too, and you can try them out. One is called Helixa.ai, uh, and the other one is Audience um, with an S instead of a C. Another one I like, it's not quite exactly the same, but it does have some very nice data on your competitors, is SimilarWeb.com. Okay, awesome. Those are those are great tools and great advice. Another thing that I generally ask or tell my customers too is talk to your sales reps and the people oh, that sure, actually yeah, like you answer sales. your phone and find out, you know, what questions are they asking so that will help you figure out where their pain points are and maybe more information about your customers as well. Absolutely. So great. So, what do you think is probably maybe the number one or two mistakes that marketers make, either in digital marketing or marketing in general? Hmm. The list is long. I make plenty myself. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we are making at scale as an industry right now is throwing 90% plus of our marketing budget at Google and Facebook or for an e-commerce Amazon 
and letting them sort out all the targeting. I think the analogy here is really similar to, say, 10 years ago when people were buying things on Amazon.com. If you'll recall, right, Amazon was essentially using its investors' money to make sure that every product you bought on Amazon was basically the cheapest you could possibly get it anywhere on the web. And so tons of people, myself included, right, started getting addicted to buying everything on Amazon because, my gosh, it's so much less expensive for the same product as anywhere else on the internet. And Amazon was losing money on every transaction, but they were making it up with AWS and with you know investor dollars and that kind of thing. And then a few years later, I don't know if folks have seen the analyses in the past five years, but, but prices on Amazon are almost always higher than everywhere else. And what happened? We're all addicted and used to going to Amazon and we like the free shipping and I'm paying for Prime already. And I like get my marvelous Mrs. Meisel on my Prime subscription. And so I, you know, I'm not going to quit because I want to see the next episode. And Amazon knows that, right? And so they can now they can start making profit on charging you more than what Target or, or Walmart or random Etsy shop is charging you. And the same thing is true with Google and Facebook and Amazon on the advertising side. You know, whereas years ago, if you went to an email newsletter and you wanted to sponsor that email newsletter, well, that was much more expensive per view, per person you want to reach than just going to Google ads. And today the inverse is usually true. It's usually less expensive, higher return on investment to go find all the sources of influence and go one-to-one -one and try and build a relationship with them, get sponsored, do some you know, content sharing agreement. That is usually less expensive and higher return on investment than just throwing all your money at Google ads, Facebook ads, and letting them sort out the target. But we're used to it. We like the analytics that come from there, right? Facebook and Google both are incentivized to make it look like all your sales came from us. Right. So it, it's tough, right? I, I think that is one of the biggest mistakes and one of the biggest sort of wool that is being pulled over all of our collective eyes. Yeah. And I think especially for new people that are, for instance, doing Google ads and they let Google run all of their bidding and all of that stuff, Google's out to make money. And so they are not going to always have your best interest when they are making a bid on a keyword, let's say. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, the reality is that the, the most sophisticated advertisers, right, the ones who have huge teams and agencies, they're spending millions and tens of millions of dollars, right? They're often the ones who are doing controlled testing to see if the how effective the ads are and which ads are most effective and turning off advertising in certain markets to see if they're really getting the lift that they think they're getting. And the people who are propping up Google's bottom line are sort of the suckers, which is which is all of us who are small and medium businesses and don't have the scale or the knowledge experience. Yeah, the knowledge, the expertise to be able to um, do those sorts of sophisticated testing. And that that really sucks. You know, I look, I don't mind if Google is fleecing Amazon and Walmart, but I really mind when they're fleecing the local small businesses that that just makes me so sad. And I will, I will have to agree with you because I, I mean, I appreciate that they want to make it easy for business owners to set things up because it can be confusing setting up an AdWords campaign or an ad campaign. Sure. I can totally get that, but they may almost make it sound like, Hey, we've got your best interest at heart and we're going to, you know, manage those bids for you. So you can just walk away and get on with running your business. But I know that they're out to make money too. So, yeah. And I have no problem with them making money. I have a problem with their incentive being 
monopoly dominance and control, right? So their incentive at this point is essentially not, hey, we'll run your ads for you and get you set up in a, in a good, you know, profitable way for you, but rather, how do we make sure that for every dollar you uh, of margin that you make, we get 99 cents of it? And that is both their incentive model and how they've been trending, all, all three of these companies in the last decade. And I, you know, there's not a whole lot of choice, right? Because Google's growth, uh, unless something changes dramatically with China, they basically have every internet user already, right? So their growth no longer can come from new people getting on the internet the way it did their first 15 years of growth, 16 years. Now they need to essentially extract more and more dollars from every person and every business that uses Google. And so your incentives are misaligned uh, with theirs. Right. And it's the same way with the other big social media platforms, too. I mean, I remember when making posts on Facebook actually did something. <laughs> Not anymore. No, no. Now, now you have to pay. And yeah, it, it's not great. It's not great. No, no, definitely not. And yeah, yeah, we could go into the whole ethics of it all. But yeah, that would be a whole separate podcast, I think. <laughs> this has presented some exciting opportunities, though, which, which is essentially that there's so many channels that are not Facebook, Google, Amazon that have gotten ignored and that your competition is almost certainly not investing in. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so things like, hey, could I, you know, I'm in B2B. Could I be a presenter at this webinar? Could I get featured in this person's email newsletter? Could I get talked about on, you know, Twitter by someone that my audience pays attention to? Could I uh, get some traction on LinkedIn, which yeah. ha has been a huge source of invaluable traffic for SparkToro? I think that these sources, uh, podcasts too. I have been shocked, right? It, it's something like, I think it'd be um, last year, Pew said something close to a quarter of Americans listen to a podcast a week or more. It's huge. Which is, which is absolutely massive. And, and if you look at the demographics that, you know, sort of spend more in the United States, those numbers rise, right? So chances are good that your audience, some percentage of them listen to some podcasts, attend some webinars, go to some conferences and events, subscribe to some email newsletters, read some industry niche websites, uh, get news from somewhere, right? Have sources of influence, people, publications that they pay attention on social media. And if you go directly to them, you can do extraordinary things. I, I think this is one of the most underinvested in sort of secret tactics. It's more work. There's no doubt about it. It is more upfront work, but because very few people invest in it and because it's harder to prove the ROI, the return tends to be much higher. Yeah. And I think business owners forget that they are experts in their industry or they wouldn't be in their industry, you know, even if it's just one part of their industry. So for Absolutely. instance, it's like plumbers. Why not go on a real estate podcast and talk about things you can do to any of the plumbing parts of the home in order to get it ready to sell. I mean, there's a ton of ideas. So people are like, well, I, I actually, I would like to listen to that podcast because I'm deeply worried about a leak <laughs> in our basement that I think I have to repair before we can sell our house anyway. Yeah. But you know, but, but you know what I mean? You just, so you don't always have to look at the exact same industry that you're in 
to get featured. You can just need to kind of think creatively and spin. And there's bound to be someone out there that will talk to you. You know what I mean? So you're right. I think there are tons of opportunities. You just need to be creative in how you approach those. So awesome. One of the really interesting things I think not a lot of folks realize about these things is that they have a knock-on brand effect. So for example, I could very much imagine a plumber listening to the two of us talk and saying, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to go on a real estate podcast. What is that going to do for me? Very few people are going to listen to that are going to call me up. They won't even be in my area. But my counter to that would be this. When you are talked about publicly on sources of influence, it propagates your brand. That branding impacts word of mouth, right? So, oh, well, Rand heard about whatever, Lily the plumber in, I don't know, Bellevue, Washington, and he's not going to use her because she's in Bellevue, but he knows people there and he might recommend her. Okay, uh, maybe that's a little spurious. But also that podcast, when it is published, mentions Lily's plumbing business. And because it's indexable by Google, Google sees that and counts it as as a vote, right? As an endorsement. And so when you search Google Maps for plumber near me, Lily is more likely to come up at the top. And Lily might go, oh, dang, actually, I do care about coming up at the top of Google Maps. That's something that's important. And when you get to Lily's homepage for her plumbing website, and it's featured on this podcast, and you can watch the interview, and now there's social proof and also endorsement and something that makes you trust her more, your conversion rate goes up. So I think that sometimes we discount the... Um, the value of these types of things because we can't make the easy direct connection from a person's going to hear the podcast and immediately call me for business. And I agree with you. That's not mm-hmm. how it works. Right. It is indirect. It is branding. It's word of mouth. It's endorsements that that rack up on the internet that influence you know, Google and Google News and Google Maps and search. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And and that's great. I love the way you just presented all the benefits to that. And you're hundred percent right. It's not always immediate. It can take time, but all of that builds up and helps build your authority and trust and everything. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you shouldn't be afraid of those types of of things and just try it. It's actually quite fun. (laughs) And as you will see, Brand's doing a great job. Even he can do it. (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean, one. I think one of the things that happens when you start to analyze folks who have been very successful in a field or an industry, it's extremely rare that that success comes without coverage, right? Comes without amplification from various sources of influence. And one, one might question whether this is correlation or causation. And, and I would argue it's probably some of both. It's a complex equation and it's probably some of both. And so you really should not underinvest in discovering your potential customers' sources of influence, what they pay attention to, and getting into those places. Very good. I love it. I absolutely love it. What recommendations do you have as far as like um, how to reach the target audience? We talked a little bit about social media and retargeting. Well, we didn't talk about retargeting. What are your thoughts on retargeting? I should probably ask you that question. Display mm-hmm. ads and retargeting. Is that something that you think most businesses should, should tap into because you know they've either visited the client's website already and they want to stay top of mind? What are your thoughts on retargeting and display advertising? 
for folks who aren't aware, on the technical side, retargeting is becoming more, I can say, machine learning predictive, which basically just means it's more correlation with cohorts of people that Google or Facebook think that you might need to reach rather than than the direct historic, oh, this person was cookied, I show them the ad over here. Uh, that is going away because of changes to privacy in Mozilla Firefox and, and Apple, uh, iOS, and, and soon Chrome as well. Mm -hmm. That being said, I think that there are certain segments, uh, especially of e-commerce and some B2B high touch, long sales cycle stuff that can benefit from retargeting, but your mileage may vary. And, and my, my sense is that over the past decade, we're seeing two forces combine to make that much more difficult. Number one, 10 years ago, very few of your competitors were investing in retargeting. And so you could stand out in a way to your potential customers. Mm -hmm. And so it was you know, more effective because it was novel right, right. and different. And second is along with all that investment, there are now for both display and retargeting, there are so many bidders uh, for every potential page view that the cost per conversion, per view through conversion, per you know, engagement, whatever it is, is very, very high. So unless your margins are exceptionally good, you know, you, if you've got a 60, 70, 80% plus margin business and a relatively high ticket value item, it could be that yes, display and retargeting will work well for you. And in cases where those numbers are much smaller, probably it will not pay off for you. Yeah. Um, it, and it kind of depends too, right? Like, you know, some folks who are venture backed are going to invest unprofitably in advertising. You know, I've, I've seen the statistics. I don't completely buy these. I, I think there's some inaccuracy there, right? That 70% of venture dollars, uh, venture funded dollars that go to, you know, all these businesses that are trying to grow, um, go essentially directly to the triopoly of advertising. They're just poured from, you know, well, thanks, Sequoia. I'll take your 50 million and I'll put 40 million of it into Google and Facebook ads. Just to get the name out there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I know that I'm going to lose money on every transaction. But I'm going to make up for it because once we become big and a public company, then we can use investor dollars to fund that growth. And then eventually we'll become the brand name and our, our advertising rates will drop and this kind of thing. Um, the Amazon story is, is pretty similar. I mean, uh, WeWork was trying to do this for forever, right? They'd come into a market like Seattle and they would essentially you know, be the cheapest place where you could rent office space by a long shot. They were losing money on every tenant, losing tons of money, you know, billions of dollars every year across the United States, but making up for it with investor dollars with the promise that in the future, we will put out of business all the other shared office space people, right, in every city, and then we'll be able to jack up the rates and be profitable. And in some cities, they were able to make that work, right, put enough of the, you know, the rest of them out of business. And, mm -hmm. and obviously, you know, because of all sorts of wackadoodle things happening at the executive suite level um, that that promise didn't quite pull through. But Lyft and Uber operate the same way. So I, I'm just saying, take that analogy to heart when you yourself are investing in ads, especially display and retargeting, which can be some of the most expensive. Yeah. 
Okay. Awesome. Awesome advice. So going back a little bit, I know we're running out of time, but I want to ask you just a few more questions about video. So Moz is famous for whiteboard Fridays and you kind of launched those. How do you think, how would you recommend marketers use video in their marketing mix? And especially those that are a little gun shy or a little afraid of getting in front of a camera or trying to do videos. Yeah. So it's like we talked about before a little bit, Sherry, if you don't have personal passion and interest around being behind a camera and presenting things to a camera, and it's not something you want to get better at and, and try, um, don't, you don't need okay. to okay. video is not the only format. Text is still great. Vastly more text consumption. Uh, tweets can be great. Photos can be great. Illustrations can be great. Podcasts that are audio only can be great. If you need to do video for video advertising, it doesn't have to be you on the video, right? It can be sure. your product uh, uh, or something else around it. Don't stress about video if it is not your personal passion and interest and you don't have a way that you can think of to provide unique value there. I would. Say or you can hire a video production company to help you as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah Absolutely. Again, you know, challenging to do that well if you don't have personal passion and interest and unique value that you provide. You, you kind of need those two things. But Casey and I, for example, Casey does not love being on video. This is my co-founder. Um, although I think he's he's quite good on, on, on video. But we worked with a video production company, you know, hired like old team and went to a wedding venue up in, up in uh, like an hour north of Seattle and you know, did a nice little video shoot that that'll be on Spark Toro's homepage in, in a few weeks here. And um, I think it went great, right? I think it's outstanding. It's got kind of all the elements that you would want. It's very short. It's professionally produced. It's two minutes in some, and it costs us about 20 grand. And wow. I would do it again in a heartbeat. Um, I, I think it's going to have a real impact on how people view the brand and, you know, getting a connection to it and understanding the the, the thought process behind the product, all that kind of stuff. But not everyone needs one. You can convey the same things well with text and visuals and it's fine, right? SparkToro has obviously done fine. Uh, what I would say, if you're going to invest in video, I would think about, you have a bunch of options for how to market and present those videos. And I would think pretty carefully about that. So one is if you're doing more casual, informational audience building kinds of videos, it is fine to put those on YouTube. They can do very well there. I would not, YouTube is not the only place I would try and do that. I would take those videos and natively upload them to Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, if you're using that. Those sources, uh, those, those social media channels will reward you for native video. You know, TikTok's a great example of this. TikTok and Instagram won't even let you put a YouTube video link as a post. Yep. And Twitter, if you put up a YouTube video link and a um, a native video of the same, you know, length, variety, format, et cetera, the native one will do 10X better, right? People want to watch, people are trained to want to watch it in their feed and Twitter's algorithm will reward you for having a, native video, they'll show it to more people higher up in their feed earlier on in their scrolling cycle more often than if you put a link to a YouTube video. Good information so, to know. That's great. Yeah, so you've got to, you just got to play, play the cards the way the platforms are giving you opportunities and then use the video content itself 
to drive the branding and the awareness and the sort of, you know, okay, what are the next steps at the end of the video? That sort of thing. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, I don't know if you're like me, I tend to do better on live video versus recording because when I record things, I'm way more critical and it will take me 10 times as long because I'm oh my God, Sherry, stopping. When we, did this, when we did this video, you know, we, they, they've got the like big camera rig and they're like walking around this hedge maze, which is where we're and lighting everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I had to repeat, you know, it's only two minutes of lines, right? Right. I had to repeat some of the scenes, which are literally, you know, three sentences, two sentences, 20 times, 30 times, just again and again and again. It was whew, just intense, right? Yeah. That, that memorization and recitation, trying to bring the emotion with your voice and, and with your face and, you know, getting your walking right, <laughs> all, all that. I have so much empathy for actors. I know. How do they do it? I don't know. I have no idea how they do that. I'm telling you, I created a, an introduction to SEO course for LinkedIn, and I had to read from a script and create a script. And I was like, crap, I'm not going to be able to do like three minutes without making a mistake. And luckily, the um, person I was working with said, your favorite word is going to say is going to be rephrase, because every time you goof up, say the word rephrase and just repeat it and we'll edit it out. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, editors, editors are a godsend. Yeah, sure. I, I will agree. I will agree. But yeah, I mean, I tend to do, I tend to be easier on myself when, when I'm live because there's no going back. But when I'm recording something, I tend to be a perfectionist and want to have to redo it and it just never gets done. So that's another tip for people too. If you want, if you are worried about being a perfectionist and getting it a hundred percent right, like Rand was in front of the video production company, just sometimes just going on and just doing a live video is better because you don't feel that perfectionism need because you're already on camera and live. So you can't freak out about it. So anyway, so I, we're going to be wrapping up here, but I did want to talk about um, SparkToro because you can get a lot of information from your tool. I know I, I have a free account that I've been playing around with. Nice. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about about your tool and how you can find information about audiences and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a little bit like what we talked about before, you know, that, that sort of idea of, of getting people's phones and getting their unlock codes and seeing all the things that they're browsing. So we, we do that obviously in a legal, ethical manner. We only do it for public social and, and web pages, right? Where people's accounts show, oh, you know, your, your Twitter account, it shows all the things that you tweet. You want to show those things, right? And we crawl that data and then aggregate it together. We anonymize it. So we won't say, oh, you know, Sherry liked this and this, and she follows this and this. I mean, you can go to Sherry's account and obviously see that, but we don't even include the fact that the data is coming from, from you. We instead aggregate and anonymize. So we'll say, oh, 17,212 people whose bio uh, on one platform or another includes the word podcast. So people who are podcasters, right? We will show you aggregated data about them. Okay, well, 17% of them uh, read this particular you know, web publication and 11% of them follow this YouTube channel. 6% of them listen to this podcast. And, you know, 12% of them use these hashtags when they post publicly on their social channels. 
those kinds of insights, which you can get for free, there's more data if you want to pay, but there's a ton available for free, can help you learn about your audience just from a high level. What do they watch? What do they read? What do they listen to? Do lots of them do that? Do only a few of them do that? Is this publication big with them? Oh my gosh, this podcast is actually listened to by a higher percent of our audience than the New York Times is read by them. Maybe yeah. maybe we should be on that podcast instead of trying to keep pitching the New York Times, right? And and you will find this in in lots and lots of niches that there is essentially, you know, high convergence around some sources of influence. Uh, and then there's a long tail of people and publications and words and phrases that they use and ways that they describe themselves. We have demographic data in there as well. So you can get a really robust at a glance sense of, hey, this is what my audience looks like. And when I do marketing to them, this is probably where and how I want to do that. No, and it is it has a lot of information and it reminded me a lot of Buzz Sumo in, in some in some fashion oh, with regard yeah. yeah with regard to the amount of information you can get. So yeah. it's very interesting and and even when I do some research on it it's like okay well you know as far as the podcast too okay well I should be listening to that podcast you know what I mean so yeah it definitely, it definitely I think there's definitely like that that sense of um, not only can I learn about where to do marketing, but I, call, I can also learn where the conversation is happening in my field so that I can be part of it. Yeah, definitely. So definitely check out that. And then before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to chat about or have I talked you out? Oh my gosh. I mean, I, you know, I love chatting about video games. I like to talk about our favorite TV shows. Um, we could, we could chat about all this adventure time art behind me. I that was my just going to say. I was wondering who did the art. Let, yeah, these are let's these are all Geraldine. That. That's awesome. They are beautiful and they're fun and they're I so love your, bright. I love your success as the best revenge sign. I, I I believe that with my whole heart. Although my one um, caveat to that is, I think success looks very different than I think a lot of other people look. Okay, success, and I think changing your definition of success to be personal to you, instead of trying to achieve some like, I don't know what the tech hustle bros think is success, right? I, I think that uh, that's a powerful game changer for a lot of people mentally and emotionally too. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank so you. So many awesome. topics. There's so many topics. We I know. Doing. We'll have to have, will you come back again? Oh my God. Yes. Can awesome. we talk about Dairy Girls? Such a great show. Dairy Girls. Dairy Girls. Oh yeah. Fantastic. I have not heard of Dairy Girls and I grew up on a farm. I didn't grow up on a dairy uh, farm. Sorry. The, uh, the town name in Ireland oh, is Dairy. D E R R Y. There we go. I thought you said Dairy Girls, as in like cows. I'm like, okay, Dairy Girls. Yes, we can talk about Dairy Girls. I'm going to make a note Fantastic. of that. Next time I will ask you, do you like Dairy Girls or do you like Dairy Girls? Next time on an exciting adventure of Sherry and Rand's podcast. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask you one final question. One thing I know is that if you don't make mistakes, Rand, I don't think you're learning or growing. Can you give us one example of a mistake that you've made either in marketing or in business that you think our audience can learn from? Ooh, gosh. Um, I think... Uh, I made a, a small tactical error last night. It's one I've made before. We sent out a big email, like mass mailer to the SparkToro list. It included a, um, 
a mention of a, a special offer that the first one we've done and and it did not mention that it's only offered on on annual subscriptions and so uh, we got lots of emails this morning saying i want like, it on the monthly version wait, 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 wait can i apply this to my monthly i don't see it on the pricing page what's going on here i think the lesson is not simply you should editorially review your work and and fact check you you should that's very important get a fourth fifth set of eyes on there but it's very important to understand how crucial setting expectations and delivering on expectations is to marketing. Great marketing. This includes everything from a landing page to an ad, to how you brand your business, to how your logo looks. It should all create a singular message, right? That That's in people's heads of, oh, this looks like a brand that does X for Y type of person in Z kind of way, right? This looks like a fine dining restaurant's menu and logo and storefront. This looks like a casual restaurant storefront. And when you walk into the casual restaurant storefront and you're greeted by, you know, $30 in entree prices, your brain goes, wait, no, it's all wrong. It doesn't, what's going on here, right? Or you expect a fine dining experience and then there's a counter that you walk up to and no, no table service. You have to create expectations throughout your branding process, your product process, your presentation process, your location, your advertising, your marketing. When those things all sync together, magic happens. That's awesome. And you know what? You have created so many businesses or several businesses that, in my opinion, are magic. So you should be extremely proud of yourself. And I feel so honored that you are our guest today. Thank you so much, Rand Fishkin. My pleasure, Sherry. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you guys enjoyed the show today. And thank you once again, Rand. We appreciate you being here. Thanks. We're going to take on the world.